0: I was um, reading a little while ago something that um, Tom Wright said, who does the books that we've been using about communion and about the atonement. And he said he says that that Jesus didn't give us an explanation; he gave us a meal, and it's the tearing of the bread representing the tearing of his body, and the blood that we we drink representing the cleansing. And there's there's a lot of truth when we when we celebrate this meal, we're celebrating once again, what Christ has done for us. And it's a visual thing. It's something that we actually can participate in. So it's, it has a very powerful meaning. Anyhow, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 11. Now, if you remember, it was quite a while ago now, we started Acts, and the last time um, Liz spoke, she spoke about the healing of um, the lame man, and really, this this sort of follows on. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to him to them, in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, "People of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham." Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. In Jesus' name, it is, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in, in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying, that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, who, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until, that, until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you, and everyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each one, each of you, from your wicked ways. The priests and the captain of the guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. This man that um, Peter and John, uh, um, this man had been healed, he had been there for a long time. It it tells us in Acts 4.22 that he was over 40 years old and he was taken to this place Every day, we don't know from what age, but there's no doubt that people have passed him by many, many times and probably given him a bit of money. Jesus almost certainly had passed him by, by a few times. And so this wasn't someone who they could have said, oh, well, he was a plant. They all knew him. They all knew who this man was. And he wasn't just someone who had become lame, but he had been lame, as I say, from birth for over 40 years. So this... This um, healing was something that was astounding, something that they, they, they saw, and they could, they could see that something, something had happened that was beyond their belief. They sinned this man every day, and here he was standing, walking, leaping and praising God with them. I think, I think it's interesting that this next part happens in Solomon's portico, um, because this is where the Jews first, where, where Jesus preached at one time. And it was there that he said, "I am the Father or one," and they picked up stones to, to, um, to stone him. And here we have them now coming and proclaiming that Jesus actually is the Son of God, in the very place where they were going to stone him. And Sol- Solomon's portico was where the Jews um, where later on that the, the Christians um, met together. we're told in Acts 5:12 it was a place where people gathered. Um, apparently the, the rabbis would gather there to teach. But notice that this crowd was, was, this was a field that was ready to harvest. Peter wasn't preaching to people who knew nothing about Jesus. Many of these people have been there when Jesus was crucified. In fact, Peter says in verses 13 and 14 that they actually agreed with his crucifixion. They were there agreeing that he should be crucified. These people probably heard heard Jesus preaching. they have probably seen his miracles. This was ground that was ready. This was not virgin ground. Often when we see Paul preaching later on, he's got to explain who God is. But these people already knew who who, who, um, God is. And one of the things that strikes me in this passage is how... Suddenly, the church, his disciples have suddenly come to the realization of who Jesus is. Having seen him resurrected from the dead, having spent time with him as he showed them how the scriptures spoke about him, we find them using in uh, in in this passage. In um, I've got to find it now. I should have written it down. Um, Anyhow. He calls him the holy and righteous one. He says they killed the holy and righteous one, the author of life. Their vision of who Jesus was had grown as they'd seen him, as he'd been resurrected. He was not just a man. They knew him just as a man, but now he was something much more. He was the holy and righteous one. These people knew who the man Jesus was. They had seen him preaching, as I say, they'd seen him do things. But here they're proclaiming that they needed to know more, that he was a holy and righteous one. He is the one that was promised from the, from the beginning. Even Moses promised that this man would come and they should listen to him. So it's not enough just to know about Jesus. They, they needed to know about the man. They needed to know more. They needed to know that there was something more to this man than just an ordinary rabbi who they'd seen preaching and teaching. And notice how Peter confronts them first with their guilt. He says, they had handed Jesus over to be killed. They had disowned him before Pilate, even when Pilate decided to let him go. They asked for a murderer to be released in his place. Here was the... Here, here was the, um, the uh, <coughs> sorry, I've lost myself... He was the author of life, but they wanted to replace the author of life with a murderer. And he confronts them with their guilt. And this seems to be part of the gospel. That there is a confrontation. We need to understand that we stand before God guilty. And he confronts them and says, look, there's guilt here. You need to put it right. And he shows that this Jesus was raised from the dead. They were witnesses. They saw him raised from the dead. He talks about the power of Jesus and that faith in his name is the thing that, that um, healed this, this man. It's not that the name of Jesus is a ma- magic formula, but that in some way, and I've just realised I've jumped a whole load of my, of my notes and I'm completely in the wrong place, but never mind. <laughs> we carried... I, I probably ought to just chuck my notes and just preach with it and just forget about it. I find that I have all these ideas coming up, and when I come to write it down, I just can't organise myself at all. Um, I probably should just chuck them. Um, anyhow. Why don't you write like a CD and play that? Uh, that might not be a bad idea, actually. Someone else, preferably, I think. <laughs> that um, Right, where was I? <coughs> so, so, yeah, he, he, he proclaims that Jesus is raised from the dead. He tells them that they were the ones that had crucified him, that they were involved in some ways. And even though Pilate had wanted to, to dismiss this, they still went ahead and did it. They stood guilty before God. And there is some ways when we proclaim the gospel, a uh, gospel, 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 that we need to to show people that there is a need that they have. People can know all about Jesus. People can know that he was a good man and all these things. But there comes a point, and sometimes I don't think it's what we say, it's what God does to them, where they realise that they need something, that there is something missing, that they stand before God guilty. But Peter doesn't just leave this at that. He then goes on and he says, but you did this, but you didn't understand what you were doing. In fact, that's what Jesus has said. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not understand what they're doing. And Peter says that, that this was because this was all part of God's plan. And maybe we weren't there, maybe we weren't there to crucify him, but... I think we all understand, all of those that have come to know the Lord, that there were points in our lives where we would have turned aside and we can think, oh, these terrible people, they did this, but many of us would have at one time would have stood aside and allowed Jesus to be crucified. So in some ways, we, we all have at some point have, have borne the same type of guilt as what they did. But he says that they need to repent, And the word repent means to change your mind. And then he says he needs to turn back, turn back to God, turn in a different direction. And this is part of what happens when we become a Christian. We repent, we change our mind about who we think Jesus is. We see him for who he really is. And then we change our direction and we walk towards him rather than walking away. And he promises them because of what, because of doing that, and because of what, God, what Christ has done in God, their sins will be forgiven. I want to back up a little bit as well, because I because I missed it earlier on. <laughs> you notice that they say, um, "Don't be amazed by all of this." You know that we didn't do this because of our own godliness or power. This wasn't the reason that this man stands before you here healed. It was because of what God did through Jesus. The gifts and the graces, the 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 gifts that God gives are grace gifts, and I know that sometimes when people have a um, a healing ministry, perhaps, or whether whether God uses them in some way, there's a tendency for us to put them on a pedestal. And I see Peter and John, they want to lay that aside and say, no, this is not about us. It's not even really about the healing. The focus of this is about Jesus. The healing is because of what Jesus did. But their focus is about about who Jesus is and what these people need to do in response. So the healing was a way that God had used to bring together this great crowd. And it must have been a great crowd because we're told that about um, 5,000 were added, which is a lot of people. It must have been a big area. But it wasn't about them. It was about what God did. And their message was about what Christ had done for them. And I think we need to be careful. We should have the same attitude. It's something we don't preach as often as perhaps should be. And that's the whole thing of humility, of recognising that we are... If God uses us, it's because, for no reason of our own, you know, it's not because we've been particularly holy or particularly good that he uses us. But he uses us because he loves us. And that's not to say that we shouldn't strive for godliness. It's not to say that we should therefore live however we want. But it doesn't matter how much we do, is never enough to earn the gifts that, that, of God and his love. God pours that out freely upon us and uses us as he will. So this is quite a, a remarkable story. We, we see at the end that um, they do get into trouble for it. The Sadducees who didn't really believe in the resurrection, they seemed to be actually not that bothered, the fact that they'd seen this man healed. That didn't seem to be their big thing. Their big thing was that they were preaching that Christ had risen from the dead. Now, they didn't believe in a resurrection. They, and here they were confronted with these people who were preaching that this Jesus who they had helped to crucify was actually risen from the dead. But no matter what they thought, the, 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 the lid was off the can, there was nothing they could do. And we see that there were 5,000 that were, that were, um, that were saved on that day. In fact, is it really, if you think about it, these were Jewish people. This was not like they had to convert from one religion to another. This was the fulfillment of their religion. This Jesus who came fulfilled. This is what the prophets have been promising. This is what Peter tells them. All the prophets have been talking about this moment when Jesus will come and suffer. But he does go on to say to them that Jesus has gone into heaven, he will come again. Now they missed him because they weren't expecting a suffering Messiah. They were, and I've said this many times, they were expecting a conquering king to come. And Peter says that he will come again, but for now he's in heaven. And he will come again as a conqueror and a deliverer. He will come again to establish his kingdom on earth. And that too is part of the message that we have. That this Jesus, whom we no longer see, is, is waiting for the time when he will return. And I'm not into speculating when that will be. Too many people have done that in the past. But I know he will come again, and that time is coming closer and closer when he will return. I was um, reading uh, something by um, a guy called Justin Martyr who lived about 165 AD. And it's a conversation that he is having with a Jewish man called uh, Trifo. And it's quite an interesting thing, anyhow, just to see how the early Christians took the Old Testament scriptures and they reapplied them and and saw how how God was working in them differently from what the Jews saw. And one of the big issues that Trifo has is the fact that Jesus of Nazareth was a crucified person, that he wasn't the conquering king that they expected. And, And Justin goes through and explains how that 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 there was there was something more that you know that there is a second coming that we should be looking towards, and he also explains on how on how the the Jews have misunderstood many of the uh, the, the teachings of the Old testament anyhow it 's quite interesting to see, but for the Jews at that time, they were waiting for this conquering king, and, and Peter says he will come again, he will come again to establish his kingdom, but for now. He's, he, he cannot be seen. Well, as I've lost my notes, and I can't even remember how I summed this up, let me just pray, shall we, and hope that something of this went in somewhere. But Father, we give you thanks for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that your word is greater than anything else anyone can say. And that you can use your word in ways that we can't even understand, Father. And we pray, Father, that that you would draw us ever closer to you and that you would change us in those areas that we need to be changed. In Jesus' name, amen.